follow your heart, follow your gut, follow whatever is leading you. Just show up and do the best job you can and then be open to the possibilities. I I never thought I would be a CEO. I didn't want to be a CEO, but I was open. I had learned. I worked really hard um, and I absorbed and was curious. And now here I am. You're listening to That Worked, a show that breaks down the careers of top founders and executives and pulls out those key items that led to their success. I'm your host, Cowan Harrington, founder of Flash Growth, and I couldn't be more excited that you're here. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of That Worked. I'm excited for this week's episode. I'm joined by Amanda F. Amanda is a founding team member and the CEO of ScriptDrop. ScriptDrop is the only healthcare IT company specializing in medication access that serves patients in all 50 states. ScriptDrop works alongside its healthcare partners to deliver medication access opportunities through technology, empathy, and healthcare expertise. Previously, Amanda was an early employee of Cover My Meds, moving up the ranks to ultimately serve as Director of New Product Implementation. She played a significant role in the company's exponential growth and its eventual sale to McKesson in 2017 for $1.4 billion. She also co-founded the nonprofit foundation Go Get the World, an organization that supports and empowers young women in college or earlier in their careers. I learned a lot in this episode. We talked about how to create a network effect, how to build a customer flywheel, and how they kept quality high while growing script drop 300% during COVID. The part of the conversation I enjoyed the most was talking through Amanda's transition to CEO. In particular, how to be your authentic self as a CEO. A lot of people struggle with this, myself included, and I thought that she gave excellent advice for new CEOs and anyone that wants to be a CEO one day. So. With that, I'm going to stop talking and let's get to the show. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're we're in a new studio. So just so our listeners know, yesterday night, probably at like 10 o'clock at night, I'm like, hey, are you cool with the change of plans on studio? And you got back right away, which was amazing. I'm, sur- I'm surprised I saw it. It was perfect timing. So it all worked out. <laughs> I, <couldn't believe laughs> it. I, I thought I was like, there's no way. I, 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 but you did. We're here. Super excited uh, to have you on the show. And the first place that I'd love to start out is what do the words go get the world mean to you? They mean so much to me, and it's because I was making a very critical decision. Um, I actually forget what decision it was (laughs) Um, when I was in college, and my mom wrote me a letter, and it just said, go get the world, and I'm here if you need me. And that, oh, wow, I'll cry. That just meant so much to me because it was like I had the power to make the choice whatever it was, whatever it may be, but I had somebody supporting me along the way. And it was just at the right time that I needed to hear that. And it stuck with me throughout so many years of like watching other people or myself having to make some critical decisions and thinking, do they know that I care about this? Do they know that I'm supporting them and that whatever decision they make, they'll be okay. So just follow your heart, follow your dreams and, you know, go get the world and 
you know, you do have a support system, whether it's your family, your friends, or community, um, and one that I created called Go Get the World. <laughs> Was it specifically kind of that, okay, like I, I have now the confidence to do this because it's almost kind of the the worst case scenario has been removed. Is that what it is or what what is it to you specifically? Yeah, I think it definitely was the confidence, especially as a woman in, in leadership. I am constantly second guessing myself or not sure if that's the right move or and so somebody telling me like the world is your oyster. Don't worry and I'll catch you if you fall mm-hmm. was just what I needed to hear. What changed with you in particular after that moment? I think I remember just taking chances then that I I normally didn't. Uh, I made the decision to go into healthcare administration then at Ohio University, which was probably one of the best decisions that I made because it led me to actually take a, a risk and apply to a random job on Craigslist called Cover My Meds. <laughs> Cover, wait, hold on a minute here. Um, so for our listeners that don't know, uh, Cover My Meds was probably the one of the early success stories in the startup community within Columbus sold for $1.1 billion to McKesson. What I'm loving is that you applied through Craigslist for this job. Okay. Tell us about that. Yes. And so I applied through Craigslist and I, I actually, we've adopted and our kind of job interviews was uh, from early on, I covered my meds too, is I got a response from Craigslist from the VP of operations at Cover My Meds. Um, and she asked me a bunch of questions. And so that was kind of unusual back mm-hmm. then too, to have like email communication. I had to do something before I actually got an interview. And I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. This is very thoughtful, insightful, and I'll respond. And so I remember, you know, actually responding to her email. And, and what I learned later is a lot of people actually fall off after that point, that they wouldn't take the time even to respond. Um, and back then, again, nobody knew who Cover My Meds was. I yeah. think it was a cold call position that I actually applied for. So cold call on Craigslist, and I got an interview. Um, I went in. I went downtown to the office on Chestnut Street, and I remember my parents being like, wait, what What are you doing? Where are you interviewing? <laughs> like, what is this place? Like, a little worried for me. Yeah. Um, and it was just the most incredible interview most incredible people. And um, that was on a Friday and I started on a Monday. It sounds almost that you were excited by getting this email with these tasks to do. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, it was um, like almost from the starting point, it was like, we care to get to know you. It's not your email was going into an oblivion, which, you know, back then I remember, you know, Monster and all of those other companies that I was applying on. This one was like a response like, hey, tell me about yourself. And they were judging, you know, your written communication. And then if they liked you, you got to go into the office or have a phone interview. And that's when they were really starting to understand your communication style and skills. But I just felt like that was a um, nice nod of, you know, I hear you, I see you, and I want to know more. And that was cool. Do you still do any of that today within kind of the hiring processes at either Script Drop or was that something that became standard at Cover My Meds throughout that time? It was something that became standard for many, many years at Cover My Meds um, and something that we did implement at Script Drop early on too. We don't do it right now, um, but it's something that 
is I think more companies started to adopt it too. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't as special, but I, I, I really appreciate it. And that's what made me even more excited for this interview in a really random spot. I mean, automating prior authorizations, which I, I had no idea what that was. I mean, Still don't. Can you help me understand <laughs> what that means? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I really understood completely, probably for months and months, even working at Cover My Meds. But so imagine your doctor writes a prescription and it might be really expensive or it could be maybe a little bit more risky for you to take. That's when your doctor needs to send a basically a, a permission slip or a, a written form to the insurance company to say, this is why Callan needs this drug. You know, he's tried this, he's tried that, or um, and that's why, you know, this expense is needed. This is the drug that he needs mm-hmm. to be on. And so it was a process just to like double check that that was the appropriate therapy for you. Once the health plan signed off on it, you could go on your therapy. And that was a completely paper, archaic process until Cover My Meds revolutionized that space. Had no idea. And I've worked in the insurance area for like uh, over 10 years. (laughs) I had absolutely no idea. That makes so much sense. Did you want to be in a startup? I don't know. I don't think I knew what a startup was. or that actually that company was a startup. My paycheck came from the consulting company they owned for about a year. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But I read a book recently talking about how to really kind of like find yourself. You need to remember who you were as a child and what you gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. And I actually created tons of businesses as a child. Like I loved lemonade stands and creating like the neighborhood carnival. And my brother would be at the ticket stand and I'd go be creating the next business. So I loved that. So it was sort of natural when I realized like, oh, this is this is new. Like we're doing something really cool here that actually people people want to use and look at and I remember, you know, my boss always asking me like more detailed questions on like, how was that call? What do they say? What questions did you ask? Can you ask these questions for me? And I was like, oh, I'm I'm like the researcher now. Um, and it was just a really exciting time because I, as just an employee on the phones, was learning along with the founders of the company. Uh-huh. Like, is this product going to work? So you, yeah, you're zero to one stage. And in, in for any of our listeners who don't know, zero to one's typically that zero to one million in, in ARR. What were the biggest challenges of that stage for you? Well, I think it was uh, not understanding healthcare or still like trying to wrap my head around the prior authorization process too. Yeah. You know, yes, my degree was in healthcare administration. Out of like the call center back then, I was probably the only one with a degree that applied. Um So I think that was probably the biggest challenge. And what I learned and what I try to instill in our account management team at ScriptDrop today is, you know, the best way to learn is from your customers. Like people want to talk about themselves. Um, So ask them a question. Tell, ask them how they do their job. What would make their lives easier? And so I loved that part about it. And it was just a really exciting time to continue to build and then take that and apply it and move on to the next problem we are trying to solve. I think that's such excellent advice. What I've always seen with customer interviews is, you know, one department will do that really well, but it stays and lives with that department. And when you share that externally and you've got a way to iterate those, 
I found that exactly what you said. If you want to know what the problems are, ask your customers. If you want to know where they're getting information for from marketing, ask your customers. If you want to know what challenges and pain points are going on, you ask the customers. So I think that's 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 great advice. How has that impacted what you've done since in your career? Oh my goodness. Um, in so many ways. And actually, I just had a conversation about this the other day. One of the the cool things that my boss at Cover My Meds would do too is if she wanted to know something, she'd give the whole team like, this is your question of the week. Mm. And uh, we all would gather it and then share it in stand-up. So that's one thing that I just actually applied um, and passed on to our account management team this week too was, all right, guys, this is what we want to know. We need to start just feeding it into the conversations anytime you're on the phone, no matter who it is, whether it's a pharmacy or a health system, go ahead and just ask. So it's just really interesting things that I learned along my way at Cover My Meds, building and growing and just actually learning from such incredible leaders there that I have taken and applied um, at ScriptDrop because it's it's a very similar concept. Mm-hmm. It's just in a different spot. It's in prescription delivery instead of prior authorization. Can you remember what some of those times were at uh, at Cover My Meds where it was these were some of the turning point moments where it's like, oh, this is really something. This is really going to work. Can you remember any of those times? I remember probably too many. <laughs> One of the earliest was I was uh, invited to go to a conference. And I mean, I didn't stop moving. Like I was on my feet and I think they just brought me to man the booth and all of the other executives were running around and doing different things and still involved in other companies. And I mean, I didn't stop. Everybody wanted to uh, like get, test and demo and see the product. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. We were the busiest booth there. Yeah. And then I remember we closed a really, really large um, retail chain. It was the biggest one. And uh, I was responsible for sending out the announcements for our team at that time. And I remember sending out every single week that we were closing like multiple deals. And that was really unheard of. We were on the pharmaceutical manufacturer team, so we were focused on that. Mm-hmm. So it was crazy, these like huge deals we were closing then every single week. And I really think that was that turning point was getting the largest pharmacy customer. So in healthcare, it definitely is kind of like a flywheel and like building the network and then moving into other areas. And that's what I really saw the big shift into the other areas um, in healthcare that it was mind-blowing. Is there anything that you can pinpoint on that where it was, here's what we started doing, and this really started to have a big impact? I think it came down to still, it was the network effect. So people care, especially in healthcare, once you get to this critical mass. And that that's the hardest thing to do. And I always tell the team that actually at ScriptDrop is... You know, we, we've done the hard part, guys. We built out a network. Do you know how hard that is to do in healthcare? Mm-hmm. We have 11,000 pharmacies that we, um, that we work with, and we can get any patient on therapy the same day across the country. That is a massive undertaking and a huge foundation. Now you can build on top of it and do what I say is, are the fun things. Um, so the fun things are actually building new products on top of that network, connecting into the ecosystem, doing integrations, communicating. We we touch the patient, communicating to the patient, letting them know that, hey, you can get five bucks off grocery if you get your flu shot. So just really interesting ways then because you have this massive network 
And so I think that was it is when we hit, I want to say it was um, 7 million prior authorizations. I remember that day at Cover My Meds was like a, a big milestone for us. Um, and it was weird that it was seven and not 10, but it was seven. We were really excited about that one. And then actually, uh, December of 2022, Script Drop hit our 10 millionth delivery. Um, and now we're about to hit 12. So it's, um, I really think in healthcare, having that critical mass is when you start to see other things move faster and um, people get involved much faster. So now that you've done this twice, how do you build that network? So, and, and I would kind of almost, if you could break that into stages of like initial stage, here's how we break in, here's how we kind of get the next tranche, the next tranche, whatever that may be. What does that look like? How do you do that? Whew. Uh, so you really do, and, and this really applies to healthcare, and maybe it could apply elsewhere. I've only ever been in healthcare. I always say, you know, my next company, I will not be in healthcare because I feel like there's like a huge weight that you carry uh-huh. on your shoulders. Oh, I've said this about <laughs> insurance for the past 10 right? years. <laughs> but there's so many problems to solve. So I don't think I'll ever leave. But in healthcare, it's really important to think about, yes, you have to think about the patient, but it's really the healthcare professionals. They're the ones that the patient listens to. They're the ones that you need to be in workflow and thinking about because they're not going to go outside of their workflow. Mm -hmm. They are busy. They care about their patient. They want to give them care. So if they care about your product, they will use you, but it has to be in workflow. So really, it's making sure that you figure out how to integrate who to integrate with, who's going to be that first partner that's going to be super collaborative too that you can learn from. So we integrate into pharmacy management systems. That's where we started. That's actually where uh, Cover My Med started too is uh, those integrations. And that is then where you can learn, okay, did this work? What are the stats? You know, what are the results? What does this look like? Take that to other systems, but that's really how you can scale that much, much faster. Um, is to find kind of that niche uh, integration to start with. That makes a ton of sense. And and what I'm hearing you say is, sounds like you, the the model is still find the early adopters. Who are these people that see that they can get a significant gain? But in particular, sounds like in this world, even if they're an early adopter, even if they want to do that, they're not stepping out of their workflow. And for you to get real traction, to get real network effect, we have to go in workflow. We have to find the early adopters that are on these systems, whatever systems those may be, integrate there, put in their workflow, and then start to build a flywheel. Is that right? Yep, exactly. How do you build a flywheel? Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I should have known. Well, the way that we did it at ScriptDrop actually is to think about aligning incentives across the board. And I'm really happy that we thought about it this way because I've never really truly, I think, seen a product in healthcare that has really crystally clear aligned the incentives the way that we have. And so what I mean by that is a patient cares about getting on therapy. Great. They don't they might not care which way they they get on therapy, but they want to make sure that they can get their medication. They probably care about convenience. Uh, that's where we come in. Where it's the pharmacy, they care about making sure that they don't lose that revenue. They don't lose that patient. They don't lose that revenue. And then they don't have to spend the time returning that drug back to stock. That's additional administrative burden that's put on the already busy busy pharmacist. 
Then you have the doctor. They're prescribing this medication. They care that the patient gets on therapy. Most of the time, they never know. I think it's like something crazy, like 1% of the time. Does the, farm, or does the physician actually know if you, the patient, got on the therapy that they pre- prescribed? Huh. So, you know, they care about that patient, but then in, in a greater whole, it's the health system. They are incentivized to make sure that you aren't readmitted back into the hospital. Well, if you don't get your medication, you could be. So that puts them at risk. And then you have your health plans that actually care about making sure, same thing, that you don't get readmitted. They're improving their star ratings for certain disease states. And pharmaceutical manufacturers, of course, if they sink all that money into commercials and sales reps and, you know, distributing the drug that at that final mile, that patient needs to get the therapy or they have an entire sunk cost. So we really align everything very nicely to help really all parties in the ecosystem share in patient adherence and be responsible for patient adherence. So that's how Script Doc did it, is we really looked at aligning the incentives for all of the different parties to create that flywheel. Is it also removing the friction from the process? Oh, absolutely. And that's where removing the friction from the healthcare professionals too, and then even being, I, I like to say, we're in workflow with the patient then too. When it's you know, referred to you by a physician or, you know, it's just an easy click of the button or you can go to your patient app um, within any of your grocery retailers. That That's us who's making your script delivery for you. So yeah, in workflow, frictionless is definitely critical in, in healthcare, especially. You are part of this. You built the initial network, the flywheel, Cover My Meds ends up getting acquired by McKesson. And you go right back into the earliest stages. <laughs> yeah. What it so what was it? What was it about that that you're like, I gotta do this again? I got the bug. I was like, oh my goodness, this startup life I think is for me. Even though I didn't know I was applying to a startup. Uh but <laughs> Did you find this out through (laughs) Craigslist as well? (laughs) No, but I, you know, I had the bug to do it all over again. I had just worked on a new product that Cover My Meds spun up too. So it was already kind of still living in that incubator startup world within Cover My Meds that I was like, well, why not try it again? And I have all this experience now behind me. I, I got to see something grow from, you know, nothing to... I mean, an over-billion-dollar exit. Mm -hmm. So why not try it and see if I can do it again? So you get into the beginning. What was the first rude awakening? (laughs) (laughs) There are too many. (laughs) That that I was like, oh, my God, this is the the beginning again. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Exactly right. There are probably definitely too many. But I think it was actually, no. I remember it was a rude awakening, but I was, um, it was a good reminder of this is why I'm here, is I was on the phone with my uh, former colleague, I covered my meds then, and he was stuck because he couldn't make a decision. Um, Somebody else had to make the decision. And I was like, He's smiling, walking into the, the script drop office, about to have like, a terrible meaning about something. And he's like, 
you're smiling. Like, I know that you're going through a lot, but I can hear you smiling. I'm like, the difference is I'm in control. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to actually be able to make a decision and figure out the next step instead of feeling stuck. And that's what I was like, although these are like really hard decisions, I mean, that's what happens in a startup journey and an entrepreneur's journey is like you are forced to make tough decisions every single day. But it's you get to do that with integrity and thoughtfulness and just make sure that you're you're making the best decision for the company at every single moment. And, you know, I was able to do that. And that just was like just refreshing. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you, it's, yeah, startups, extremely stressful, early stage startups, multiply that by like 10. And, but it's countered with, if I can make this decision that we're, we're going down and I've got control of that versus somebody else above me is making that, that decision. And once it gets to a certain size, no one person is making that decision. The market's making that decision essentially. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I, I I found the same. I don't, you know, there's so many days with being an entrepreneur. I'm like, um, there's other things I could do. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think about going, if I ever think about going back, which is rarely anymore, but in the beginning it was, well, I don't know that I want to put all this energy towards somebody else's business. And it's not that I don't like love the business and I'm attached to the idea and, and everything else, but it's just something about that, that it's worth the stress of, oh, this could fold tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that I care about and that I'm passionate about. So it goes back to uh, Lacey's, mm-hmm. um, how she was talking about, you have to do something that you really love. And that's also why I think that I'll always stay in healthcare. Again, is yes, it's a huge stress because you're talking about patients. And even something like what we're doing is we're delivering medications. This could be a life-saving drug um, that is needed to get in that patient's hands. And so it is terrifying, <laughs> but also extremely rewarding. So, um, yeah, you go through the ups and the downs and the round and rounds in one day, <laughs> seven one days hour. a week. <laughs> yeah, one hour, <laughs> seven days a week. So, <laughs> Where's that come from? That intense caring, that willing to really willing to go against really odds that are stacked against you in order to try to do that. Where's that come from? It has to come from my mom. And my mom is the one that told me, go get the world. And she was a third grade teacher, super caring, super empathetic, but is always being supportive but also, you know, giving me the little nudges, the right, the right amount. I mean, I get, I get quotes. I get, she'll take pictures of the book she's reading and mm. like the paragraphs. And I get those daily from her. And it's just, it's always a little reminder to, to keep going. So my stubbornness, I think, comes from my dad. And then from her, it's that just the empathy of like, I just want to help. And I remember in my interview, actually, at Cover My Meds, um, I interviewed with Matt Scantlin. And he's like, what do you want to be doing in five years? And I was like, oh, this is the question that I should have prepared for. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, I just, I, I have to be helping people. That's that's what I have to do. And so here I am, how many years later, like staying in healthcare? Because there's, there's so much work to be done. And you can really make a big in- impact on people. And especially in this type of setting too, like healthcare technology 
you can really reach so many people um, at once too. So I think there's like a power in being the connector, being able to actually impact over 11 million patients essentially is what we've done mm -hmm. um, since the beginning of Script Drop. And, um, you know, that that's what keeps me going. And somebody asked me the other day, like, have you ever thought about just quitting? <laughs> and I don't know if I've ever seriously considered it because there's just so much to be done in that the patient care and the people and the team like always keep me going. You have to have that drive to do that job. So let's go there. Um, <laughs> so your CEO, you worked your way up within Cover My Meds. You did the same thing within Script Drop and you're at the top spot. What changed taking over the top spot? So many things just actually, though, being at Script Drop, I think, changed. And I think what it gave me was perspective. You know, even at Cover My Meds, it was fabulous. But there were still, you know, I, I mean, at the end there, after we had PE money and we're working on the acquisition, there were a lot of big shifts and changes. And you're like, what are we doing here? And now taking a step back and seeing it from the seat that I'm in, I'm like, oh my God, I get it now. Mm -hmm. Like I get it. And I like have even more empathy than I already did for the leaders that cover my meds and what they were able to accomplish and do. So I think, I think my perspective changed. But then also, I think one of the biggest things that I've been focusing on um, really this last year is taken from Page in the Cover My Meds book is you have to get back to the people. The people are what drive the business. They create the culture. They are the ones that, you know, are making the magic happen. Um, and so we've really started to invest more in culture and collaboration. And that, that was just really hard in the middle of the pandemic. I was taking over as CEO. We were completely virtual. We were, I mean, we tripled, I think, <laughs> our volume, like what felt like overnight. So it was just so much happening at once that, it wasn't until kind of end of 2022, 2023, I was really able to say, all right, let's let's start to get back to what we what we do. And what I know we can do best is collaborating, solving problems together, cross team communication, getting in person a little bit more. I hired a chief people officer, Chase McCants. Um, he was at Beam right, and Olive and yeah, and cover my meds. And so that I think has been what I realized and what what has changed, at least in this past year, is these folks have been really ride or die the last three years and that I need to trust them to continue to um, do what's best for the company. And that's how we've been able to get to where we've been. You, you touched on a point there a little bit where you grew uh, over 300% during COVID. How did you handle delivering on that? I have an incredible COO, uh, Lori Bogard, who really was kind of lockstep with sales at that point to staff appropriately and make sure that we could handle um, the volume. Um, she also organized the kind of going fully remote when we needed to and put all of the processes and technology in place to make sure that the team members were being super efficient and felt really supportive. We actually at that time too, because not only were we, we were we growing, we had a CEO change and then we had to go home all at once. Yeah. 
And so we did have a weekly all staffs um, just to touch base with everybody, make sure they could they could see me and that I wasn't stressed and pulling my hair out and we were going to be OK. On camera. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. On camera. <laughs> but that's really how we survived. And, and then 8 a.m. every single morning, it was the executives huddling on like, OK, what are we facing today? What are the challenges? How are we going to do this? And so it was just constant communication and yeah, trusting the team to to be accountable when they knew what to do. Was there anything in particular, whether it were changes that were made or anything that you can think of as like, okay, we did we started doing this and this was something that really benefited that or helped with the growth or whatever that may be? I think it's when we really started to empower this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, though. It was to empower the team members to, like, ask the right questions, to really get to the root of what the customer thought we were solving. Because, I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, everybody realized, oh, I need delivery. These pharmacies were um, limiting that until COVID because they were like, oh, I want the foot traffic. That's a, you know, a candy bar and a pop if they come into the pharmacy. So, you know, delivery was like a checkbox, but it wasn't embraced. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden overnight, it was like, oh my goodness, I need a delivery strategy. And so we knew that changed, but, you know, really getting to the root of, okay, why were you picking us? You know, what are the other problems that we can solve? Why are we getting phone calls? How could we eliminate, you know, that extra touch from a pharmacy? So, mm -hmm. That's when we finally had that scale that it was important to take a step back and still look at the product and say, okay, what are we solving? And then what are the customer's needs? And I think as we kept kind of growing and weaving in the changes, the iterations, how we were communicating to the pharmacy, because we were still relatively new, mm -hmm. that we were really getting to know our customers still. Um, so we really pushed the team to get to know your customers better, understand what they need and what they want. Um, and then communicate really well and effectively when we build something, including showing how we measure those changes. And I think that that really unlocked a lot. We weren't a cost center anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, delivery can be looked at as, you know, again, a commodity, something that's nice to have. But we were truly a, a partner for these people um, and for our customers in the middle of, you know, a time that nobody expected. Right. And so what I'm hearing is, is that although, you know, the revenue very much looked like a much larger company, we were a very, still a very new, very early uh, stage company. And one of the things that you were very cognizant of, and it seems like because you saw something like this previously at, at Cover My Meds and experienced that, was as we're growing... We don't want to just put all these processes and everything in place and lose sight of the the customer. We have to we have to be talking to the customer, keeping the customer at the forefront of this whole thing as we're scaling. Is that am I hearing that correctly? Exactly. And understanding, you know, what are they measuring? How can we help? How do how do they define if we're successful? So how can we show that we've been super successful and showing kind of comparisons of, you know, either other partners or other people in the industry um, to really kind of unlock that we are more than just, it's kind of, it's what we did at Cover My Meds. We're more than just a prior authorization company. 
ScriptDrop, we're more than just a delivery company. We are a healthcare first company. So, you know, we're thinking about it with a healthcare lens on at all times. So, you know, what are the ways that we can communicate effectively with these healthcare partners to show the value that we really bring? What were some of those things as as a CEO? And now you're moving from one stage of the company to the other. Were there areas where that you had to evolve personally in order to be the right fit for the role with the new company? Yes. Well, I think so. I thought actually as soon as I became, not as soon as I became, but uh, probably a little bit into being a CEO, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so much that I don't know. And I thought one of the things that I really wanted to focus on was my executive presence. Like how, like how should I be more of a CEO and executive and how do I command the room and all of these things that you're told? And I, I actually hired a coach and, you know, was working on my communication style and all of these things. And I, I realized like that's not who I am or who I wanted to be. I just wanted to be myself. And I feel like kind of over the years since then, being my authentic self in leadership and showing that, you know, hey, guys, no, I have to get home for dinner, too. Um, you know, I need to um, make sure I check out early for dance class. Um, so it was or, you know, doing this, like just thinking on the fly with somebody and not having every exact word precise. That was me. So showing up more as me and not who I was. I always thought a CEO was. And I think that was a big shift for me. But then also to have the confidence, you know, after the first year, two, I still don't know if I have all the confidence that I need um, to be doing what I'm doing. But after, you know, so many years now, I have a little bit more where I have that experience. I have that knowledge now. I'm more confident in my decision making or to other people that are challenging my decision. I have kind of a, a better understanding and just a little bit more um, confidence in myself to know and uh, stand firm in some of the decisions. So more to kind of trust in your own decision making. My own decision own. making. Yes. Yeah. No, that, and that makes sense. And I think that's probably one of the biggest realities is, is that, you know, we've had so many successful people on the show and we all know so many successful people and the, the, picture is that, oh, these people got it all figured out. Nobody does. Nobody has it all figured out. Um, so I love that. I love your story and, and hearing that and how you said that and, and everything else. The last question I have to kind of wrap this up is, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, what would that conversation be? What advice would you give them? Go get the world. I really think that that's almost what I needed to hear throughout my entire life. And I'm so thankful that I heard it in college, at least, and not not later. But I mean, you can do anything that you set your mind to. I've thought about my career journey, and I think it's been unintentionally intentional. You know, follow your heart, follow your gut, follow whatever is leading you. Just show up and do the best job you can and then be open to the possibilities. And I, I never thought I would be a CEO. I didn't want to be a CEO, but I was open. I had learned. I worked really hard um, and I absorbed and was curious. And now here I am. So just be 
aware of the possibility and then trust your gut and go get the world. I think that's excellent. And it's very similar to something that I saw that you had mentioned before, where you said when you stopped looking for the next thing in your career, that thing found you and trusting your intuition and, and your gut and how you've made a career of that, I think is I think is incredible. And you're at the top spot at a, a, a highly successful company. So, man, this has been amazing. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is great. I hope you enjoyed Amanda and I's conversation. I loved hearing how she came into her own as a CEO. If you want to learn more about Amanda, you could find her on LinkedIn in the show notes. Also, if you like this episode, you could find me on LinkedIn to let me know. And if you really want to support the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is very much appreciated. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll see you next week.